All right. Uh, so I've used, as you've noticed, Rob is not here today. He and Val and the kids are trying out their new tent trailer camping. And so um, I get to preach today. I think because I preached the fastest last time and with the new break, like they thought this would be good, but I don't know what it is. Anyway, so we're continuing on with our Maintaining the Soil series. Um, so the first week of the series, Rob defined the kingdom of God for us uh, in this parable. So Rob defined the kingdom of God as God's vision of the world made right. Uh, also, we know um, that, the, that the parable isn't... Okay. Also, we know from that that the parable is about our listening ears and our hearts towards God. Uh, typically, people have thought of it as an evangelism parable, but really it's about us and those of us who are following Christ. Uh, then last week, Rob talked about the path and uh, if we don't seek to understand God in his kingdom, it will be taken from us. So uh, we need to make sure that we are seeking God's kingdom. So today I'm going to talk about rocky soil, but let's read the verses again so that we are familiar with them, okay? We're reading from Matthew 13, 3 to 9, and then 18 to 23. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what, he, what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. All right, so we've defined the kingdom of God, and we know it's on the path. This week we're going to be looking at the rocky soil. So when Rob was like, I'm going to be preaching on the um, parable of the sower, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I know that story. And then he was like, and I'm going away, and I'm like, oh, okay, so I should probably actually pay a little bit of attention to it. So I dug a little deeper. As a good Bible college student, I went to my commentary, and this is what it says in the commentary, okay? The person who receives the message of the kingdom in a thoughtless way may show immediate signs of life and promise to be the best of the crop. He or she receives the truth with joy, but without real root, there is no fruit, and external pressures, trouble, and persecution, like sun beating down on a rootless plant, soon reveal the shallowness of this soil. Just as quickly, such people fall away. Okay, have you ever started, like, a diet and exercise program, and you were like, 
I'm going to do this. I'm like, I'm never going to eat sweets again. I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to like jog for an hour and it lasts like a week or like three days or whatever. Um, or maybe you're like, okay, I really need to spend extra time with God, so I'm going to get up like an hour before the rest of my family, and I am just going to be in the Word. But then the Word is like on your pillow, and you like kind of don't get up. So, yeah, I think we can all relate to these kinds of things, right? So this, this rocky soil is basically people who are like super enthusiastic about the kingdom, but then as it goes along, as they they go forward in their faith, things start to kind of whittle down, or they start to, you kind of start to, you know, you're not as diligent or whatever. So um, all areas of our life that don't reflect Christ are our potential places for the rocky soil. I want to tell you, uh, so sometimes circumstances are hard. And actually, Devin read something like this today, but in Luke 9, 3, it reads, And he, who is Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That doesn't really sound like all rainbows and unicorns and everything, right? I think sometimes when we start a relationship with Jesus, we're like, okay, now I'm like in a relationship with Jesus, and so everything's going to go right, and everything's going to be perfect, and nothing's ever going to go wrong again, because Jesus has my back, and it's all going to be great. And then life happens, right? Um, When I was younger, when we first became uh, Christians, my dad had a friend of his who was a pastor, and he taught me when I was about 10 years old this saying, it's that life's not fair, but God is good. And uh, I want to share three stories with you, stories that have happened over the last few years in my life that have uh, caused me, stories of friends of mine and myself, where I've needed to have deep roots in order to get through them. Uh, The first story is about my friend Beth. So Beth and I have been friends since we were, I was 14, she was 15, I was in grade 9, she was in grade 10. We were at the Christian school together. I had to go to the Christian school because I wasn't behaving myself in the regular school, so they sent me there hoping that like maybe I would do better. She went there because she is a good Christian girl, and she loved the Lord, and she wanted to be in an environment where she would be surrounded by people who love God. And so uh, she was like my sort of stable friend the whole way through high school and stuff like that. Wonderful. She's a couple years ahead of me, and then I took a little time off off of high school. So she went off to university in Chicago at Wheaton College, and I went out eventually to uh, Trinity Western University in BC because that was as far away as I could get from my family and still be in Canada. And uh, so we were at university, we kind of stayed in touch. After university, she went and worked in like the inner city of Chicago with her church and she served the Lord and she was doing great. Midway through university, I kind of reconnected with God in a big way and, uh, and I started serving the Lord too, much more diligently than I had been in the past. We get back, she gets back from university first about a year before I do, and after her time in Chicago, and she gets a job at the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. So she's a good Christian girl, she's working at a good Christian organization, it's all going well. I come home and I'm like, sure, it'd be fun to work together. So I got a job there too, so now we're working together. And then after a bit, she was like, hey, we should be roommates, so we became roommates together. And then while we were living in this total dive, 
in downtown Toronto. Uh, her dad's business partner passed away and someone needed to guard the house. So we moved into this like 35 square foot mansion, her and I, and we had like no furniture and it was all good, but it was great. So we were spending all of our time together. We're working together, we're living together, life's good. Then we met these boys and then we all got engaged and then I got married in August, she got married in December. She moved to Ottawa. And then a couple years later, I had Elizabeth, and she had her son. And then um, I say Elizabeth tricked me into having Sam. Uh, but she had a bit of a harder time, so she was a little bit farther behind me with her uh, second baby. So, she, but finally it came. We're super excited. I think uh, Sam was about a year old when she found out she was pregnant with um, Mary. And so we were celebrating. She's in Ottawa, and I'm in Toronto. And at Christmas, I get a call. She's just had that first ultrasound, and there's something wrong with the baby. So uh, they go back to the, the doctor again, and they discover that the baby has something called trisomy 18, which is a third um, marker at the 18th chromosome. At the 13th, it's what we know as Down syndrome. At the 18th, though, it can cause um, a cleft palate and deformed feet, but the biggest thing is a hole in the baby's heart. So they inform her and her husband, you know, the best thing you can do is just terminate this pregnancy and then move on and spend some time and then um, have another baby. So they uh, were not going to do that. They decided that they would carry the baby that God had um, brought the, given this baby life. And if God wanted to heal this baby, then he was going to do that. And, but regardless, they were going to carry her for as long as they could. So... Um, she had a lot of people in her life who didn't really understand that and didn't really want, know why she was putting herself through that and didn't really, um, weren't super supportive of the whole thing. But I was like, if you need anything from me, just let me know. So um, I'm at home, I, it's April. I get a call and she's like, um, I'm going into labor. Will you come to Ottawa and be with me? because we want John, the older child, who's two now, we want him to meet his sister. And I'm like, sure, I jump in the car, I drive there. And as I'm driving there, I, I'm praying, I'm, okay, Lord, this is it, you're gonna do a miracle, we've all been praying, it's all out there, it's gonna be good. And we get there, and um, Mary was born at 1 a.m., and I got to hold her, and nine hours later, she was gone. And I remember Beth saying to me, you know, it's not that I don't believe God can heal her. The problem is that I know God can heal her, and he's choosing not to. And it was that, that was a, that's a blow, right? When you think, oh, God's got this, she's a good girl. Like, bad things shouldn't happen to good people. But the reality is, we know here at Promise, we believe in two things. One is that God is making things right, and that God is with us. And unfortunately, he's making things right, but they're not right yet. We were at Mary's funeral, and uh, we were talking about how God is grieving with us. God is in this with us. He is with us, and that's what helps us get through this. It's not that every prayer is always going to be answered, but it's that when we're in those storms, when we're in that pain, that God walks through that with us, because life's not fair, but God is good. God wants an honest relationship with us, and he will grieve alongside us. 
So fast forward a little bit, and uh, we had moved from our church, and we had moved from Scarborough to uh, Pickering, and we decided that it was time to move to a local church. So we, we headed to the local Alliance Church. And when we got there, we had two little babies, and uh, so we decided that we would, the quickest way to, to get to know people was to join promise groups and those kinds of groups. So Derek got involved in a group with three other guys, and they met every Wednesday morning, like for the whole time they were together at that church, including, I will add, the day that I was supposed to be induced to have David, Derek was like, I'll just go to my men's group, and then I'll meet you after. So he did. It was fine. It went later on. One of the guys in that group, his name was Andrew. When Andrew's daughter was six months old, his youngest child, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. He had to have surgery. They removed the tumor. And we met him when he was about three or four years into that journey. As he got to the five-year mark, which is when they declare you cancer-free, if you've been five years without cancer, he went in for his regular checkup. And unfortunately, they discovered that the cancer had come back. And so we walked through that next five years with Andrew and his wife, Marilyn, their two kids. And um, it, it, was, it was quite the journey. We had everyone praying. And um, I remember Andrew worked at the church. He had been the youth pastor two youth pastors before when I took over doing youth there. He was working as the church secretary. He could only work part-time because he was uh, ill a lot. He was having to have chemo and stuff like that. Um, and so uh, sometimes we'd be at the church, and he had a sense of humor. He was actually insane. Sometimes I would be like, do you just point to the scar on your head, and that gets you off the hook for the ridiculous things you say? But he was a very funny guy, and he always was upbeat, always the life of the party. But one time we were at the church, and um, I'm like, how you doing? And instead of his usual, regular, sort of upbeat kind of, yeah, yeah, it's all good, he said to me, I... I'm so mad at God. I'm so mad at God that he would do this, that I would have to leave my wife and my children. I'm so mad at God. But there's no other answer besides God. There's nowhere else to go. And uh, Andrew passed away soon after that. When we were at his funeral, there was 700 people there. 700 people, many, many, many of them non-Christians, that he had just touched deeply with the whole thing that he was going through and the positive outlook and all of that kind of thing. Um, after that, Derek and I actually made the decision to withdraw our kids from the Christian school and put them in the school across the road because we were so challenged by his example of being salt and light in his community. Um, and he was just... Even in his anger, Andrew was able to just um, emit the love of God to people. Because life's not fair, but God is good. My own story. See, I was worried I was going to cry about this one, but I'm going to get it together. My own story. Um, so we have, I have given birth to three children. But when my, my second son was about two and a half years old, my 16-year-old sister had a little boy. And when he was three months old, uh, because she couldn't care for him full-time as much as, as she should have been able to, we decided that we would partner with her. So Derek and I would be the primary caregivers, and she would be actively involved in his life, kind of seeing him multiple times a day. Uh, but basically that he would be raised kind of as one of our other children, and then we, have, we had David after that. So we had four kids. 
Uh, they were 0, 2, 4, and 6 at one point, and I thought I was going to lose my mind. But anyway, we made it. We kept going. It was fine. Uh, when Jaden was in grade 2, he started to have some issues, and we were not really sure what was happening, didn't know what was going down. He started acting out, and so we started seeing specialists and professionals and stuff like that. Later on, he was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and developmental delay. And basically, what that means is, even though when you look at him and when you first interact with him, you don't realize it, but he functions at about a five- or six-year-old level. Unfortunately, that means that when things are difficult for him, he has a temper tantrum. And when a two-year-old has a temper tantrum, you can pick them up and put them where they're supposed to be, and life is good. But when a kid has a temper tantrum and they're in a bigger body, it becomes harder to manage that. And we got to the place where we were having to have uh, intervention and um, having to have him go to uh, the psychiatric hospital and that kind of thing. Uh, when he was about 11 years old, we had to make the decision that we could no longer provide the care for him. So one time he went to the hospital and I was talking with the person and I said, uh, what happens if we don't come pick him up? Because I can't do it anymore. I was covered in bruises. I was worried that he was going to hurt me or worse, that I would hurt him or worse than that, that he hurt one of my other kids. So the guy said, well, we will declare him an abandoned child. So after some time, we uh, decided that that was the only course we could take. As you can imagine, that was difficult for me, as I'm still seeing now. And I spent about three and a half weeks in my bed with that word, abandoned child, just running through my head and thinking, is there any way, is there any way we could bring him home? Is there any way we could make this safe? And there wasn't. And I stopped going to church. I stopped seeing people. I really just kind of kept my other children alive during that time, and that was about it. Thankfully, Derek kept taking our kids to church and started, uh, kept going with that. Finally, I was laying on my bed, and I realized God say, he said, he's not abandoned. I have him. As much as you love him, I love him even more than that, and I have a plan for him. It's not the plan that we thought, and it doesn't look like how we thought it was going to be, but I have a plan for him, and you need to trust me with him. Because life's not fair, but God is good. And so that's what we've done. I still get to see him. He's 18 now, and he's like this tall, and I get to have lunch with him every three or four weeks, and he's doing pretty good. It's not what I thought it would be, but it, it is what it is, right? And each one of those situations, as I turn back to God, my roots went a little bit deeper, and my roots went a little bit deeper. Maybe you're not facing the loss of a child or a battle with cancer or anything like that, but you guys are facing things as well, and you need deep roots. What is the call of the kingdom of God in your life that requires that long-term commitment from you to change? And how can you start to work on the one thing the Holy Spirit is leading you in right now? Because God is gracious. He doesn't make us change things all at once. He doesn't come at us, whatever, but he might be speaking to you Maybe you need to do this or that or whatever. I'm going to give you some examples of some of the things that brought me through, brought Beth through, and brought Andrew through those journeys that we walked on. 
The first is a knowledge of the Bible. If you know scripture, you know things like God loves you and he has a plan for you and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Those are things that you should be just planting into your heart and it's truth that's spoken to you in those moments. So get into your Bible. That's one of the things I would encourage you to do. Download the YouVersion app. That thing's got like millions of Bible uh, studies on it. Like you can literally be like, uh, I'm feeling anxiety or I'm struggling with fear or, you know, I need help with my weight loss. They've got it all on that thing. So download the, the YouVersion Bible app and get into your word. The second thing is an active prayer life. Man, you got to talk to God. He is willing to hear you scream. He's willing to hear you bent. He's willing to hear you cry and grieve. And he's willing to hear you just be like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you want. And then take some time to listen. Don't make prayer a one-way street because the Lord wants to talk to you and he wants uh, to say things back to you. So take that time to listen. The last thing is to get into a community of believers. Believers that will walk alongside you in those dark times come Sunday morning. But also, this is my pitch because I love it, get into a promise group. Be with people that you can call and say, I am going through something right now and I need you. But also be the people that someone can call and say, I'm going through this and I need you. What a blessing I had. I was one of only a few people that got to hold Mary while she was alive because I was willing to make the sacrifice to go and be with my friend in her time of need. And that is something that is so precious to me. So get into a community of believers. Be with people who will see be with you through the things that you're going through. All right, so this morning I'm going to wrap up. Don't you love it when I preach because it's so short? Anyway, no. Okay, so this morning I'm going to wrap up. I encourage, encourage each of you to start working on one new habit. Just pick one new habit. What's the Lord telling you to do? Do you need to read your Bible more? Do you need to pray more? Do you need to get into a community? Or maybe it's something else that I haven't even mentioned here. What's the one thing that you need to do that's going to help your roots to go down deeper so that when the things of life come at you, you do not get scorched by the sun. Don't wait for the hard times in life to knock you out. Put your roots down deep so that you're able to withstand when hardships come, because they will come. But God wants to see you through it, and he gave you the tools to do so. I'm just going to close this in prayer now. God, I thank you that you are a God that walks through everything with us, Lord. That when we're willing to just partner with you, that when we're willing, Holy Spirit, to open ourselves up to you and to be guided by you, that you will help us to put down roots. That when those roots go down, Lord, that we will be fruitful, that we will produce a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. And so, God, we offer ourselves now. We offer our time and our energy and the things that you've called us to, and we want to be Christ-like people. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please come out at 3 o'clock for Ron's um, History of Christianity. It's super fun. I like it a lot. And we will see you guys all next week. Thanks for coming.